Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today, at the end of the episode, I will play a short story from Somber Stroll. That one will be safety first. Wasn't sure this morning, but then my son and I went swimming because he stayed home sick. And as again, yeah, that's where that short story was created in the backyard. So why not play that one tonight for you guys? Hopefully you will enjoy it. It has been a pretty awesome week for me. Just a lot of cool stuff coming together. So I did go to the Rammstein concert on Friday with my buddy Nado. That was awesome. It was a great show. Sounded awesome. But to be honest, we sat way too far away to even really enjoy it. I don't know. It was kind of cool to, like, it was cool to be there, to hear it all, to see it. But I don't know. I need to be up close. That's why I'm really excited about NotFest. NotFest, we have super good seats. And my family and Fortunato, he's going to come with us too. So it should be awesome. So that's going to be much better. I need, I want to be part of the show. I want to be close to the music, I want to be close to the stage. That's what I would always try to get as close to the stage whenever I used to go to shows when I was so old. But, and that was another thing with the show too. Everyone was sitting down, including myself. Like everyone behind me was sitting, so everyone in front of me was sitting. So I was just sitting, the chairs rocked a little bit. I was like, God damn, we're all just old people here. But it was also cool to see how many people, like what a diverse crowd it was. Fortunately, I'll point that out to me. Like. So many different types of people that all are listening to a German band. I don't think, I don't know if any of their songs were in English that night. I don't think so. So I'm not sure how many people speak German. I definitely don't. I was able to understand a good amount of the lyrics, but that's probably only because I've heard them so many times as well and studied lyrics and all that. But it was cool to try to listen for that too, to try to explain a little bit of it to Nato when he cared. He was probably tired of hearing me talk about it. But what he was really probably tired of hearing me talk about was... Death Fest Confessions. That is the anthology I'm planning that's based on trying to die at Death Fest. So trying to die at Death Fest, all kinds of terrible stuff happens at this huge heavy metal festival. For the Death Fest Confessions, I'm inviting several of my friends to write short stories. And they're each going to be a band member that survived. So I'll have all 12 bands that are featured in the book. Each of these authors will take one of those bands and pick one member from it and tell the story about how they experienced that day, what they did, who knows if they killed people, who knows if they, well, they for sure lost people. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But right before the concert, I got an acceptance from one of my favorite writers. So I am very excited about that. He will be the headliner. I don't know the, all of the authors yet, but I know quite a few and it's going to be awesome. So very excited about that. I'm still probably a month away from finishing that up with Glenn, the Trench Diet Death Fest. So I have actually have a meeting with him in half an hour. So we are going to be discussing that. He's working on cleaning it up. What is nice is I have been able to set that to the side because I just got back a Trench Diet back at grandma's house, which is the basis for the board game. So I'm finishing up that short story. Luckily, it's short. I still need to add probably another 3,000, 4,000 words and clean it up some more. But that will almost be ready. Then I'm also thinking about the game. I'm going to get serious about that. But yesterday, John Palisano gave me back Try Not to Die in the Wild West. And so I need to go over those final changes. And we still need to 
I think there's like one or two more little dust things we need to clean up. So that one's minor. So that will have my full attention come Monday or I'm going to be reading over it this weekend. So I definitely got a lot of stuff going on and that and i had just had a meeting with my nephew with luke we were talking about trying to die in the second civil war and that was an awesome discussion we had a 40 minute conversation but we were able to really figure out the majority of the the chapter or at least the first section of it but i was like that was cool that was good he he now understands how i work how i just want him to put ideas down like no, we're not trying to write a story right now. We're not trying to come up with the right line. We're not trying to come up with the right, you know, anything. We're just trying to come out with all the ideas like, man, this is what I do. This is what I see. This is who's there. This is how I feel about my brother. This is how I feel about this. This is, I was like, what are these things? Like, let's get all that out. I was like, and once we get all that out, like the story is just going to start to unfold and then we'll go deeper on every pass. So that was a really cool exercise to do with him. But yeah, everything is full speed right now. Another thing I'm doing, I'm being very proactive with my career because I realized I haven't been taking advantage of social media at all. I'm still probably not going to, but I'm doing a much better job, and especially when it comes to TikTok. TikTok is something that I had played around with a little bit, but I've always had just such a negative idea of it in my head that I just didn't want to post on it and or wouldn't think about it. And so I had been going for a little bit and then just completely will stop. But I told myself, I was like, okay, for at least one month, I'm going to do it correctly. I will do, I'm going to look at some articles on how authors should use TikTok. I'll try to follow the advice as much as possible. Throw in a couple extra swear words probably because I have a potty mouth. And see what happens. So we'll see. We'll see if it makes a difference. But I realized, and what I kept reading was, it's like, it's free advertising, free marketing. You know, every video you're insured 200 views. So that you might, who knows how many people you're going to reach. Anyhow, it has made me a little bit more focused instead of it taking up more time. I think it's just having me more focused, more thinking more about my business and getting my book into the hands of you wonderful readers and listeners. You know, it's all about being discovered. But if I'm not sharing my content, if I'm not putting stuff out there, then I'm only hurting myself. So I am working on that. So far, it's going great. If you are on TikTok, please come and follow me. Probably it's author Mark Tullius or Mark Tullius. I don't know. There are there aren't too many of not too many Mark Tullius is out there. So you should be able to find me. Marco Tullius is a distant relative in Germany. You could also look him up. I don't know if he's on TikTok or not, but he's an awesome bassist and musician. So check him out too. All right, guys. Anyhow, TikTok. So Derek has been active. He did a, he's done a couple of videos for me showing off the new Ain't No Messiah. Well, it's not a new shirt. It's a new shirt for him. Ain't No Messiah shirt. And he was plugging the book. I think every week, maybe I'll have him do a different book. I am looking for ideas of different things you guys would like to see. One thing that I thought would be cool. I almost forgot to thank Ashley Santana for the thing in the labyrinth book club that we did for Brightside on sunday that was super cool it was it was really hard for me to go back and read Brightside, partially because well I, I enjoyed it i still enjoy the story i'm obviously biased but i was like okay i still like the story but reading my character and what i did with him and how dislikable he was i'm like oh man but it was really cool to hear everyone's opinions on him and and how he changes in the book and you know what we're looking at so but I was very impressed with how Ashley dissected it. Great questions, very thoughtful. 
And I'm really looking forward to working with her on a Try Not to Die. We still haven't set that up yet, but yeah, that was really cool. I would definitely love to write with her. Another writer who I talked about recently that I like to work with is Kevin David Anderson. We're going to be doing a Try Not to Die. We haven't signed a contract yet, but we're going to do it. And he is also probably going to be in the Death Fest Confessions. I just sent him a message about that today because I finished reading his Night Sounds, which was awesome. That's a collection of short stories. I don't know when it's coming out. I was able to read the Uncorrected Proof, but yeah, pretty awesome stories. I was amazed at how he can create these monsters that I, I don't know, just seem, they seem impossible, but he just pulls it off brilliantly. Everything's believable. I love the way he does his characters. Action scenes are awesome. So again, if you like my writing, I bet you're going to like his. I already said how much I enjoyed Midnight Men. One of the short stories in Night Sounds is one of the Midnight Men short stories. Earl and Dell. So when that does come out, I'll let you guys know so you can pick it up. But for sure, look out for Kevin David Anderson and his stuff. There's something else I want to do before we get to the short story. And that is reader questions, Facebook questions. I don't know. And I decided why not film this so I have some content for TikTok as well. So today I said on my dark and disturbing fear-filled fiction group, god damn, say that. 10 times fast. I told them that I was having a hard time getting motivated to do today's podcast. Sometimes I'm just not feeling like it, especially when I'm being very creative. I don't want to take the time to talk about how I'm being creative. I'd rather just keep being creative. But I realize the importance of it. There's something I need to do, I want to do. So I'm doing it. But I told them I needed help. I wanted some questions. All right. So let's get to these questions. The First one, first three are from Don Young. He has some good ones. I encouraged him to continue because I liked his first one so much. So let's get to this. All right, Don Young asked, okay, if you're trying to escape a homicidal madman, which member of your family would you sacrifice to save the rest? That's kind of a tough one. Only because I've, I've given this a good amount of thought because I've had this conversation with my son. He's always want to know. I was like, hey, if someone's going to kill either me or Liv, who would you save? And then he tells me why it should be him because he's younger. He's less likely to survive and all that. But that's also, okay, she's already gone through this stage of life. She's more likely to live longer. She's better suited for the future. So that's a tough one. Or, you know, and then if I were to sacrifice their mom, how are they going to feel about that? Will they hate me? So I guess I could sacrifice myself. I don't know. No, he said, which member of your family? If I could sacrifice myself, I obviously would do that first. If not, I would go wife. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't say who the other person would be. Although it would probably be my daughter. Maybe. I don't know. No, I couldn't do it. I don't know. I couldn't do it. I couldn't kill anyone. But that would suck to watch all of us die because of this homicidal mammoth. But I'm also not sure how sacrificing one of us is going to save the rest. Like maybe do I have to sacrifice her myself or him? Because I haven't decided yet. Or is like is it offering? I'm not sure how this dynamic is going to work out. So I'll just go with the answer is my wife. Okay. Sorry, Hank. I don't really don't want to sacrifice you. He's asking the question. Okay. Now, number two. What do you have within five feet of yourself? At this moment, you could use to fight off a home intruder. This is awesome because I have a lot of things here. First off, I would hope 
that I would be able to beat the shit out of a home intruder. But if they have a weapon, I, I wouldn't want to chance it no matter what. But if they had a weapon, for sure not. But luckily, I have two huge maces. They're not in a good place. Derek is on one of them, like a 54-pound on it one. This one's also pretty heavy, probably 30 pounds or something. Up here, I got some cool knives. There's actually, it's, uh, they're terrible knives, but they look cool. They're just one of those cheapies that I got from Chinatown one time. So, but those would work. You know, they're not the best. And I should probably put them away so my son doesn't open my mail. But, yeah, so probably one of those weapons. There's a lot of little stuff here. There's some glass right here. There's some bars. Lots of good weapons. Ropes. Yeah. So, I don't know. It'd be fun to try them all. All right, last question. <sighs> what is the most traumatic way to die? So, chipping shredder while alive. Drowning. Or burning alive so i'm going to rule out drowning i think that probably wouldn't be a bad way to go we've thought about it quite a bit sometimes i practice in the pool so i'm okay with drowning chipping shredder while alive i guess it would depend on the strength of the chipping shredder and how long i was alive in it burning alive seems like it would suck i try to do that in a couple different try not to dies and i always look it up too like okay what would this kind of burn be like how long does it take to burn through this layer of blah 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 so yeah yeah i don't want to be burned alive but being stuck in a shredder that would probably suck too but i'll say burning alive all right so those were don's questions don thank you very much for that now emily haynes said did you write a book with your daughter yes i did but my daughter and i are both ashamed of it and she asked me not to sell it anymore that is Puzzle at the preschool. Not because it's terrible. It's not, it's not a good children's book. It's not a great children's book. She asked me to take it down to not sell it anymore. She doesn't want that attached to her name. So I get it. It's not something I was super duper proud of. But at the time, it was cool to produce something with it. Now, we might be writing something really cool together. We already plotted it out together. I have her name on it. But that's Try Not to Die in 25 Perfect Days. She helped create all the characters. Or not all the characters. She created lots of the characters. Also, just this utopia, where the story was going to take place, what takes place in it. We just need to revisit it. So maybe when she is on summer break, maybe it's not this summer. Maybe it's the following summer. Maybe it's in three summers. What's cool now with all these different Try Not To Dies, man, there's always something coming. So whenever we write, our book is would be awesome. And then I don't know if we will ever get to it, but she also helped me design the fantasy trilogy that I have tattooed on my back, a picture of it. So that's all been kind of plotted out, characters designed. Those were all done with her. So that would be really awesome to, you know, complete those with her down the road. But yeah, maybe it's a, maybe it's going to be a while before we do that. She's only 14, incredibly bright, reads all the time. So it'll be, she could do it right now. But if we were to do it in two years or three years from now, it's just going to be that much better. So not sure when it will be happen, but I think that will happen. All right, that wasn't too bad. See, this whole TikTok thing isn't terrible. I just got to spin it the way I can have fun with it. So I think that's what it is. As long as I'm having fun with it, then it's all good. So, and I will keep doing it. You know, that's what I think my brother convinced me of that. He's like, man, he's like, if you want someone to, if you want to change someone's mind on something, you're not going to do it through anger or any other things. Like, but if you can show them that you're happy from your decisions, if you're in a good place, other people will want that. And yeah, this week has been a cool, a cool week, a happy week taking care of myself with yoga, with exercising. I can barely move my goddamn arms because I worked out a little bit too hard the other day. So I've been walking around like a little alligator. But 
besides that, I'm not going to complain. Life is beautiful. I'm very grateful, very happy to be here. Grateful that you guys are listening to this. That's super cool. I appreciate it. So we will go out on a story from Somber Stroll. This is Safety First, narrated by T. Quone. Hope you guys dig it. Have an incredible week, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Safety First I used to be excellent at caressing clients, listening to their problems and plans for vacations, stroking their egos, but now on calls like this, all I want to do is scream. Just send me the information so I can do my job and get the fuck off the phone already. Susan's pretty hot for 50, crediting her workouts and diet, and I know why she won't end the call. She's lonely, and she's attracted to me, or at least the old me I pretend to be when I'm on the clock. I'd feel better going over this whole thing in person, she says. Maybe you can stop by my office Wednesday? We can do lunch. I consider inviting her over to the house, nine o'clock, after Ashley's asleep. But I'm so disgusted with who I've become, I can barely speak. I tell Susan, sure thing, even though we both know I'll cancel. It gets me off the phone, out of the office that used to be ours, but is now only mine. Ashley no longer needs it, being officially out of the workforce. Downstairs, there's a clash of ninjas and dragons battling. So much for only allowing educational programs. My laptop's on the couch where I left it, but someone has shut the lid. I don't say, what the fuck? But I'm thinking it. Come on, Braden, you know better. Ashley is caving in the cushions a few feet from my computer right where I left her two hours ago. Her fingers keep flipping down her phone. Her lost-at-sea blue eyes mostly blank looking nothing like my college sweetheart she'd been half a life ago. She doesn't even register my presence. Braden's not curled up beside her, eyes glued to the giant screen like I expect. I mute the TV, wait a second for him to pop out of one of his hiding spots. I don't have time for your games, I say, wondering how hard he slammed the lid and whether it cost me any work. Get in here now! Ashley stops slouching, puts the phone down. Why, what do you do now? She says, sounding like her lunchtime pill is still pulling her down. I point at the laptop, biting my tongue because she's too fragile to yell at, and it won't help anyhow. Yeah, I should never leave work where Braden can reach it. But Ashley's one job is to watch him. I head to the kitchen, which is half empty. Half of his three-day-old birthday cake still sits on the counter. Fine, your cake's going in the trash, Ashley says. He's probably in the bathroom. I march to the stairs, pissed that I'm losing my cool. He should still say something. The bathroom door is open, but it's obvious no one's inside. Braden knows not to go in the other rooms. Ashley scoots to the edge of the couch, puts both hands on the coffee table to steady herself. Her eyes go wide. Is that the pump? I hadn't noticed the low rumble. The back door is ajar. The alarm's nine-volt battery sitting on the top of its casing. Ashley's on her feet yelling as I throw open the door and fly down the porch steps. Braden's next to the rock slide in his bright Superman shirt, a foot from the pool pump gate, 
maybe two from the deep end. The back door slams shut behind me, and Braden jumps up, loses his balance. I've never run this fast. Rounding the corner of the shallow end, screaming his name, Sit down! Braden drops the stick he's been holding, his chubby arms wheeling, his shirt not giving him any superpowers. He keeps stumbling, then goes over the edge. His back smacks the water just as I grab his wrist and yank him into my arms. His ghost-white face turns red, our hearts thundering against one another. I backpedal from the pool away from the gate and notice the stick Braden dropped. It's difficult carrying him up the stairs to the house because he's all wet and squirmy and starting to freak out. I set him down on the porch, probably harder than I should have. No, you don't get mad at me. Braden scrunches his face and throws a half-hearted punch with no intention of it landing. He changes tactics, grabs his arm, and starts crying. You hurt me. I get down on his level, my face a foot from his. He needs to understand this is serious. No. You were a bad boy. That was naughty. His wrist is already purpling from my fingers. I'm sure it hurts, but it'll make for a better lesson. Plus, he cries like this every time he gets in trouble. I hear a soft shuffle and my heart skips a beat. I stare over Braden's shoulder at the closed gate, but the shuffle comes again, and I realize it's coming from right behind me. Ashley's walking away, her slippers dragging on the kitchen floor, leaving the parenting all to me. I keep my hands on Braden's shoulders, hold him in place, the water puddling around his feet. What were you thinking? You know you can never come out here by yourself. He can't stop crying. I take a breath, trying to maintain my composure. What were you doing? Why did you go outside? Why did you have that stick? He sucks back snot, shows me his empty hands. I don't have no stick. You never, ever come out here by yourself. You can get really, really hurt. Braden holds out his hands to show all of himself to me as proof. I'm fine. This time you were fine. This time you got lucky. You fall in that pool and you'll drown. You'll die. Do you understand me? Braden nods, and now both of us are in tears. I hear it then. It sounds like sandpaper on steel. A rough shuffle behind the gate. But it might be the wind through the trees. I can't tell if Braden heard it, but he's looking in the same direction. And you never open that gate. You understand? It's dangerous back there. He salutes and says, Yes, sir. Not like he's being a dick. Just something he got from one of his cartoons. I take a deep breath, blow it out, and wait until he meets my gaze. I love you, buddy. But this can never happen again. You come out here again on your own, and you might not ever see Mommy and Daddy again. Ever. What a shitty thing to see his little brain comprehend, that his parents could disappear forever. His eyes are too shiny, so I look at the gate. The goddamn gate. You won't come back. Braden's been out for five minutes, starfished on the top sheet, mouth hanging half open. I whisper, Daddy loves you, and kiss his forehead, pressing my lips against his smooth skin for several seconds. I wish him no nightmares and ease out of the bed and creep across the floor, taking my time securing the child-proof gate.
Braden's been able to open it since last month, but at least it slows him down. If he wakes and I'm not around, he knows to go to Jessica's room. That door's closed, but I don't bother opening it to check if Ashley's already passed out on the bed. I never say anything about it. We each deal with it in our own way. All the lights are off, and I leave them that way. From the closet, I grab the sleeping bag, blanket, and lantern. I pop out the nine-volt at the back door and slip outside, careful that the door doesn't bang shut. It'd be easy to fix the door so it closed quietly, but Ashley won't change a thing since Jessica left us. And in what was the hardest thing to hear her say, she said she felt safer having a backup alarm. The pool light is on. A deep purple glow. Another thing Ashley won't change. I've always thought it's too eerie, although I do like how I can't quite see to the bottom. I can't tell if Jessica is staring at me from down below. It's why I don't come out here during the day. I don't want to see my little girl, always a four-year-old. I know she didn't drown, and I know she would never have left us. I know what took her, but I'm such a fucking coward I can't say it. The gate has been opened. Something Jessica could only have done on her tippy toes, or with something like a stick to undo the latch. And there was absolutely no way she could have scaled either of the giant fences enclosing the small area next to the pool pump hidden behind the waterfall. The cops examined all three neighboring yards, but couldn't find any tracks or traces. Jessica hadn't left that way, voluntarily or otherwise. I break the trance, my gaze on the gate, and set the bundle beside the storage bench. I unlock the bench, take out my bong, pack half a bowl, my ears listening for everything, but nothing coming over the hum of the pump. It feels safer back on the porch, where I take a huge rip, hold it, and blow it out with all the stress, weight melting off my shoulders. This has been a rough week even before today. Braden's birthday will always prove difficult. It sucks for him, but there's no way that'll ever change. He shared at Jessica's birthday. It was like Ashley jinxed her, setting up Braden as her early replacement. The pump shuts off at nine o'clock. It takes a few seconds to adjust my hearing. I take in the night. A bird. Someone's TV. The Brewster's goddamn yapper. Nothing from within our oasis. Everything is beautiful, but we owe more than it's worth. Ashley hated our backyard before the remodel, and stepping outside made her sick. The loans were a calculated gamble based off what had been a positive trajectory, not the horror that would follow. There's still plenty of green in the bowl, so I give it my all, take in a bit more, and hold it. My heart slowing, my mind slowing, my senses on full alert. The stream of smoke slithers free, a tendril withering over the water. In front of the gate, 43 steps away, probably double that number to a four-year-old. I know the motherfucker's back there before I hear it, a jolt to the system before the sandpapery slide. Fuck. 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 I lock the back door, lock up the weed and turn the waterfall on low so the neighbors won't hear any talking. I need to get moving. 
The side gate leads to the driveway. I take Ashley's black BMW, the one that just sits there unless I use it for something like this. It's not the best for blending in, but it lets the girls know I'm serious. South side isn't far, and I know the way. The first time I offered a homeless guy the backyard to sleep in for a week, saying it would give him time to make his life a little better. Maybe he assumed there'd be sex involved, so I can't say he wasn't just a cheap hooker. But homeless guys really aren't safe, so I headed a few blocks north. There's always women down the street from the strip club. Last time it'd been easy. The tatted redhead so high she was down for anything. I was in such a panic last time that I hadn't been thinking about what would happen if I got pulled over with a hooker. I hadn't worried about what it'd do to my family, my job. I'd have nothing left. But now I understand the risks. And I know exactly how I'd end it if that ever happened. By strapping dynamite around my chest and hugging the pool pump goodbye. There's a tall blonde at the bus stop. I tell myself this will go just as smooth as the last one and force a smile when she sticks her head in the window. Her hair the kind of brown that looks just as dirty as it smells. If I let her in the car, I'd never stop worrying about Braden crawling around and catching a face full of lice. I make a right two times and pull over by the alley. A woman who looks built for her black miniskirt steps out from the shadows. Bends down so I can see her rack. Too good to be true. I ask for directions to the nearest gas station to wish her good night. Odds are she's a cop, and I can count on her not calling it in, telling her buddies to keep an eye out for me. On the corner, there's a thick brunette in tight jeans and tall boots, a leather jacket covering up the rest. I pull over and say hello. I can't really make out her face in the shadows. Her voice cracks when she asks if I want to have a good time. I say I'd love to, and lean over and pop open the door. The way she slips into the car is too forced to be sexy, especially for someone who looks to be pushing 40. Her hand's on my thigh as soon as I drive from the curb. I hate that it actually feels good to be touched. You can park on the next street, she says. Or get a room. Depends on what you want to spend. I'm not worried about the money, I say. My place isn't far from here. I want to go there. She really checks me out, pretending like she'll pass up a paying gig that's already cleared the car light reveal, and especially with someone nice who can make her feel special. That's why the first girl I'd ever been with decided to fuck me. My brother and his buddies each pitched in ten bucks at his bachelor party for her to blow me. I was scared and didn't want to, especially with a room full of guys listening on the other side of the door. But that's when I found out it's next to impossible to say no if her hands already wrapped around me. There was no stopping her when she slid me right inside. No condom, no problem. A couple of pumps on the bathroom counter. I wasn't one to judge. I don't usually charge by the hour. How long you planning? I'm a couple more streets down here. I'll have you back by ten. I just want to lay with you under the stars. She looks hurt. You don't have to be an asshole. Let me out. No, I'm serious. I hold out my hand. Flash the ring. I've got a wife and kids. I need to do it this way. I'll pay for your time. She sits back. Blows out a breath. Says she's married too. This was temporary. Something not so great to prevent something worse. With a raspy chuckle, she says, at least I'm getting back in shape. I make a left on my street, driving slowly to make sure none of my neighbors are out. 
I cut the lights and pull into my driveway, coast to a stop. Wow, this is yours? Her dark eyes brighten, and I wonder if she just thought of blackmail. I take her hand and wait until she looks at me. What's your name? She starts and stops like she's considering the truth, then sticks with a lie. Darla. I do the same and say, Danny, so she doesn't feel bad. Look, I'm trusting you. The waterfall covers a lot, but absolutely nothing above a whisper. I take $200 bills from my pocket and hand them to her. Can you do that? She squeezes my hand, the money disappearing inside her handbag. Of course, Danny. We'll make this nice. I turn off the car, walk Darla to the backyard, hand her the blanket and sleeping bag, turn on the lantern for her like a gentleman. Behind the gate, there's plenty of room to lay down. Why don't you get comfy, and I'll get another hundred? I'd like to keep you until midnight. Darla gives a thumbs up and a crooked smile, tiptoes across the concrete. I unlock the back door, lock it behind me. Confident Darla can't hear over the waterfall. She's going through the open gate, and I stare as the lantern's light creates a brilliant backdrop behind the rocks. I leave on the porch light and head upstairs, creep past Jessica's room, and enter Braden's. He's still a lazy starfish, but his head's now facing the foot of the bed. The floor squeaks and he moans, but keeps his eyes closed. I whisper, It's okay. Daddy's here. The dust on the blinds sticks to my fingers. I peek out, seeing only rock, fence, and waterfall in the shine of the lantern. The light flickers off and on, off again, then stays that way. I close the blinds so I can pretend Darla changed her mind and hurried home to her husband. I'm not a heartless bastard. I'm doing this out of love. I slip out of my clothes, snuggle beside Braden, and hold him tight. It doesn't feel like such a lie when I swear I'll keep him safe. It's ten o'clock on a Wednesday, and I should be at my desk, but I'm on the couch. Braden's bored, all because Ashley's migraine is back, and she's treating it in bed. I accept I can't do anything that requires thought, but even filling out forms can be tiresome when someone keeps begging for ice cream. Brayden's over by his blocks, wearing all black so he can be Batman. He asks me again. I put my laptop down, call him over. You've got to stop. You understand me? I already told you no. I told you I'm working. I want to play. Yeah, go ahead, knock yourself out. That's what I keep saying, go play. Let me work right now. The silence lasts a few minutes. Brayden asks, Where's Mommy? I want mommy. Calm down. I already told you she doesn't feel good. We go back and forth. A few sentences on the document. A few interruptions from my buddy. I'm hungry. I'm bored. Play with me. Play with me. Watch me. I am watching. That's why I'm not in the office. I'll play later. No, you're not. Braden nods at the computer. You just say you're watching. Well... Someone has to work. That's what I'm doing on the computer. Trying to do, but not really able to do because I keep getting distracted. But I want you to play with me. I will after lunch. I have to get these done, okay? 
No more talking, bud. Braden's cheeks quiver. Your magnet blocks. Show me what you can do with those. Build Draco a roost. Braden picks up the giant purple dragon he got for his birthday. Roost? His home. Up high. I check for emails. Open Susan's file. Show me how high you can build it. Using his super sweet, I'm so cute voice, he tilts his head. Then maybe some ice cream? After your lunch. If you're quiet and let me get some work done. He smiles and sets Draco down so he can build a tower with the magnetic tiles on the coffee table. It's not long before he's telling me to look. Look how high he's made it. I say, uh-huh, but he doesn't stop until I glance over. I might not be all that convincing when I say, it's awesome, and go back to the document I have to deliver by noon. Five more minutes, buddy. Five more, and then we can play. The doorbell rings. Probably a delivery. Braden gets to the door before me, pulls it open. First time I've seen him do this. The little dude is getting big. Tommy and Rachel from next door give me a shy wave, say hello and apologize for bothering us. It's our ball, Tommy says. Went over the fence. They're good kids and know never to go in the back. I almost say, go on, get it. You're old enough now. Tommy's the same age Jessica should be. I stop myself. Tell them no problem. I'll throw it back over. I lock the door, take the nine volt out of the back door alarm. Braden's trying to push open the door. No, Braden, you stay inside. He cries, but I don't care. I tell him, do what you're told. I let the door slam shut on him. I take a deep breath and blow it out. The pump's off. I strain to listen, but all I hear is the neighborhood. I think I might have heard the shuffle last night, but I couldn't be sure. I didn't want to be sure. I don't want to make another drive. With one eye on the gate, I head for the football sticking out of the bushes. My fingers have just touched pigskin when the unmistakable shuffle paralyzes me. I hear it again and clutch the ball, spin, ready to release as hard as I can. The gate's still closed, nothing visible. Braden laughs from the porch, his hand to his forehead. You are silly! I point. Get your ass inside, now! He disappears as I toss the football over the fence, head inside after him. I shout for Braden to come over, but he's grabbing himself and saying he's going to have an accident. I help him with his shorts and forget how mad I was as his little butt scurries up the stairs. I tell him to wash his hands when he's done, because he's been known to go exploring. He says, I know, I know, closes the door behind him. Back at my computer, I realize there's not much left to the document. But Braden returns too soon. Five more minutes, all right, bud? Braden stops beside the coffee table and admires his tower with Draco roosting on top. He says, Mommy wants you. She's crying. I mumble, of course she is, and set down the laptop. I turn on the TV and tell Braden to watch a show. Don't come up. Braden promises he won't and plops down onto the couch, eyes glued to the twirling ninjas. Jessica's door is open, but Ashley's asleep, snoring like she's been at it for a while. On the nightstand next to her is the ever-present pill bottle. Sometimes I'm jealous of her ability to escape whatever guilt she is feeling, but I swore when Jessica disappeared that I would be present for Braden. With my son, I'd never experience the guilt of not knowing my child.
working day and night with the intention of providing the best money could buy. No, Ashley's escape was definitely not an option for me. I close the door and head back to my computer, figure I'll get an explanation from my son after I send Susan the file. I mute the TV when I sit down, and then realize that Braden's not on the couch. I don't see him anywhere. It's hard to breathe. I tried not to sound scared when I called Braden's name. Get in here now. This isn't funny. He's not coming. And not making a sound. I spring from the couch, bumping the table in my haste. The tower collapses and Draco falls, grazing my hip on his way down, higher than the handle on the pump gate. I sprint to the kitchen, the fucking nine volts on the floor, the doors cracked open. I pray for mercy and bolt out the door, down the steps, freeze by the storage bench, Braden's standing in front of the opened pump gate, peeking in to look behind the waterfall. Braden! Back up! Now! Get away from there! He does as I say, doesn't look the least bit scared. I run past him, slam the gate shut. I grab hold of Braden's shoulders and shake him. What the hell were you thinking? Sandpaper on steel coming from the house. The slam of the back door. I spin so fast I almost fall. Braden says it's okay. What? It's okay, Daddy. It's just Moogie. He says he'd give me ice cream. Who's... A piercing shriek from upstairs cuts off the moment it starts. I run for the door, but Braden grabs my wrist, squeezes so hard I'm sure it'll turn purple. No, Daddy, he scolds, shaking his head. Don't! He only needs one! I try to shake him off, but he's not letting me go. Braden warns me. You need to do what you're told, or you'll be next. <laughs>